Yes, yes. Well, I would just like to start and say thanks also, Brian. Thanks for joining us. I mean, I'm, I'm always excited to be able to share great information and content with our clients, our consumers, and our viewers, because I feel like one of the biggest questions that I get asked is, how can I protect my property once they purchase a home, right? Or what is the next step? And so I would love to be able to start off with that, Brian. Um, first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, I guess for starters, uh, Jorge and Fabiola, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's really an honor to be able to participate. Um, but yeah, my name is Brian Chow. I am a uh, California State Bar Certified Specialist in Estate Planning, Trust, and Probate Law. So in short, I'm a board certified estate planning attorney. Uh, and my focus is on uh, both helping clients to structure their assets to make it more difficult for people to sue them and ultimately to then pass those assets on to their loved ones uh, or to charity in a way that um, maximizes their legacy goals, whatever they may be, while also minimizing their taxes and the administrative headaches that come along with that. Thank you. Thanks. So um, with that being said, can you tell us, for those that don't know, what is a living trust? Sure. So a living trust is a uh, entity that helps to make things easier for you in the event of your death or incapacity. And so perhaps a better way to explain a living trust is by zooming out a little bit and kind of looking at the big picture, right? And, and so when we're talking about, so what I deal with every day are is estate planning, right? So helping clients to have a plan in place in case uh, they no longer have control of their lives. And what we're planning for specifically are death or incapacity, right? We die, we suffer a stroke, we have Alzheimer's, dementia, etc. We no longer have the ability to make those decisions that we take for granted from day to day. If we don't have a plan in place, then what happens is our loved ones then have to scramble and they have to try to figure everything out. And there are a lot of negative consequences that can occur when we fail to plan right? One very obvious thing being, if you don't let people know what they what you want, then uh, uh, your wishes oftentimes don't get carried out because family members and friends all have their own life circumstances, personalities, opinions, right? If you've ever been to Thanksgiving or family dinner, right? Even ordering pizza can be a, a challenge, right? And so, so we want to be really clear in articulating what we want so that not only your family members and loved ones uh, know how, to, what, how everything's supposed to go, but also the other stakeholders that get involved in that transaction, like the government, like creditors, business partners, right? If you own real estate with other people, right? Making sure that all those stakeholders kind of understand as well. Um, second goal that clients have is they want to minimize the potential for conflict, right? Obviously, it can be very stressful and emotional when somebody passes away. Uh, and um, it's a time that's inherently very unfamiliar for people, right? Most families have very little experience dealing with the passing of a loved one, let alone dealing with the legal ramifications of administering somebody's estate after they're gone. And so because of that, um, if you throw a bunch of assets into this already emotional and uncertain situation, the claws can come out pretty quickly and people start fighting with one another. And so clients really don't like the idea of their loved ones suing one another or siblings not talking to each other because for decades in some cases because of hurt feelings or issues that occurred after mom or dad died. Third thing that clients want is they want to make life as easy as possible for their loved ones. So we would like for our loved ones to be able to step in, understand what our wishes are, 
and carry our wishes out with the minimal amount of time everyone expects. And so one of the big impediments to that is something called probate, which as realtors, you're probably very familiar with and your clients may have dealt with as well. But probate is basically a court process by which title transfers from someone who's passed away to wherever it is that the court believes that those assets should go. <clears throat> and the reason why probate exists is because most people, that when they acquire assets, the easy and the natural thing to do is to acquire those assets in their own name. So I buy a house, my name is on the deed. I buy a car, my name is on the pink slip. I open up bank accounts or investment accounts, my names are on those accounts. So let's take a house, for example. I own a house. It says Brian Chow on the deed. That means I'm the legal owner and I get to do with it whatever I want. So I want to sell it to Jorge. I can sign a deed, transfer it over. I want to remodel the kitchen. I can hire a contractor. I want to get a loan. I can go to the bank. And that works great while I'm alive. But in the event of my passing, I'm no longer around to make decisions. And so because of that, then those assets, right, because I'm the person on legal title, um, if I'm not around, then those assets now have to go to court and a judge has to decide what to do with my stuff. And then when we go to court, things become much more expensive, much more time consuming and public. So that's the probate process, right? So people don't want to spend tens of thousands or in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars to transfer these assets. If we could do so more efficiently, right? We don't want to spend years in court uh, if you don't have to. And we don't want everyone on the street to see what kind of assets we have and where everything's going to go. So so people like to avoid all that. And so one way that we do that is with something called a living trust. So it took us a little bit of time to set the stage, but here's what a living trust is. <laughs> the way that I like to explain it is by comparing it to a will. A lot of times people assume a will and a trust are the same thing, but they're not. A will, you can think of like a letter that you're writing to a judge. So you're basically saying, dear judge, when I die, all my stuff is going to end up in your courtroom. And this is how I want you to divide everything up. So will is good in the sense that we're letting people know what we want, but it's designed to be administered by the probate court. So it's still expensive, it's still time consuming, and it's still public. With the living trust, what we're doing is we're preparing a separate legal entity from ourselves. You can think of it almost like a holding company. So instead of owning everything in my own name, I now have this entity, let's call it the Chow Family Trust. And instead of me owning everything in my own name, I now transfer ownership to my living trust. So my living trust now owns my house, my bank accounts, my investments, my rental properties, etc. And so during the course of my lifetime, even though I no longer own anything anymore, I'm still what's known as the trustee or the manager of the trust, right? Or the CEO, let's say. And so I still have the authority to act. I can buy things, sell things, take out loans, refinance, do all the things I would normally do. Uh, so my life doesn't change while I'm alive. In the event of my passing, what happens now is I've passed away, Brian Chow, the individual, but I no longer own anything. It's all held by the Chow Family Trust. So there's nothing to probate because my trust is still alive, right? It still lives on even though I'm no longer around. And within my trust, I had the foresight to appoint uh, vice president or what are called successor trustees. So in this case, let's say I appoint Fabiola as my successor. If I'm gone, she would now step up into my place. And now Fabiola, you would have the authority to sign all the documents on behalf of the trust to transfer the property um, uh, wherever it says that the assets are supposed to go, right? So if my trust says my assets, my, my house is supposed to go to my son, you can now sign all the documents to transfer the property from my trust to my son. And so by doing that, we're able to make things a lot less expensive, a lot less time consuming, and everything is privately administered outside of court. So we're able to take care of everything. Uh, uh, the only people that have a legal right to see what's going on would then be my natural born heirs, in this case, my kids, or any other beneficiaries that I choose to appoint within the trust itself. Okay, okay.
Uh, it's amazing, and it uh, it avoids um, the the probate hustle and bustle. <laughs> That's correct. So the big the big takeaway for your clients is a living trust will help to avoid probate in the event uh, that they pass away. That, that's one big benefit. And the expenses that come with it. You know, I was uh, talking to uh, some of our friends and letting them know that we were going to have an interview with you. You know, that you are in asset protection and estate planning expert. And so as I was talking to uh, not just some of the friends, but also some of the people that we deal with, you know, from all walks of life, uh, they gave us some questions. Um, I hope you don't mind if we can... Yeah, please ask some of the questions that we collected from different people. I think it's going to be powerful because we this is this is stuff that that they're asking, right? And and, and thank you for your your knowledge, man. It's definitely appreciated. One of them asked, "Can a living trust protect my asset from being used to pay for a catastrophic medical cost?" So, uh, that's an interesting question. So, Generally, the answer is no. Uh, so a living trust um, is, uh, so what that is a common uh, misconception about a living trust, right? Because a lot of times people assume that if I'm transferring ownership of my assets from myself as an individual to uh, my living trust, do I then, are those assets then no longer subject to my liabilities, right? So Uh, the answer to that, again, is generally no. So what happens is, is, let's say I get into a car accident, somebody sues me, and they get a judgment um, for a million dollars. And they say, uh, a judge, uh, I then go to the judge and I say, hey, Mr. Judge, I don't own anything, right? The judgment is against me, Brian Child, the individual, but everything is owned by the Child Family Trust. The problem with that is the the living trust that we're talking about today is what's called a revocable trust, which means that I, as the creator, retain the right to change the trust however I wish during the course of my lifetime, including undoing the trust. If I undo the trust, I the assets then just come back to me and go back into my name. So if that's the case, then a judge can then compel me to undo my trust, pull everything back into my name so that it would be subject to my creditors. So generally speaking, right, so that applies to not only lawsuits, but again, uh, uh, right, credit card bills uh, or uh, or medical bills, right? And so now in some cases, you might be able to escape uh, or a trust could be used to avoid certain types of creditors. Like, for example, uh, if you're on Medi-Cal, right, so if you're on California, California has a version of Medicaid called Medi-Cal. Right. And basically what it's designed to do is it's designed to pay for long term care and certain medical costs for people who can't afford it. Right. Um, in that case, if you own assets at the time of your passing, California keeps a running tab. Right. And they say when you die, we're then going to take right. If you own a house and you die, we're going to then uh, put a lien against the property and collect on that uh, house after your passing. Right. For what you owe, what the state paid out for your benefit. Um, if you put it into a living trust, um, then you uh, uh, that would avoid a reimbursement claim from uh, from Medi-Cal. So that's one example where trust may be helpful uh, in avoiding certain types of creditors. But uh, as a general proposition, um, a living trust does not help uh, does not provide any meaningful asset protection. But the good news is, is there are lots of other things that you can do in conjunction with your living trust to make it more difficult for people to take your assets away. 
I've actually have had that question asked quite a bit, you know, from seniors. Um, yep. The one that you just answered. So I'm sure that's going to help them out a lot. So another question that they asked was, does a living trust avoid estate taxes and probate taxes? Uh, yeah. So that so uh, so the answer to that question uh, is the estate tax or sorry, the living trust will help to avoid the expenses associated with probate, right? So probate doesn't necessarily, uh, the costs that come from probate aren't necessarily taxes. It's just the administrative costs of going through the probate process. Um, so a living trust will serve to make it generally easier to administer your assets outside of probate without all the costs that come along with it. Um, as far as estate taxes go, uh, maybe, uh, it might be helpful at this point for me to explain estate taxes. Would that be helpful for your audience? Yes, I think it would. Okay. So the estate tax is essentially a tax that the government places on your assets when you die. Um, so the government says, hey, in the event of your passing, whatever you own, we're going to calculate the value of everything you own and come up with a number. And whatever that number is that you're passing on to your loved ones is subject to this estate tax. Um, the bad news is the estate tax rate is pretty high. Currently, it's 40%. The good news is, is that most people don't have to pay this tax because the, um, the, the government allows you a, what's called an exemption amount, which uh, essentially you can protect a certain amount of your assets uh, and pass them on to your loved ones without having to pay this tax. The current amount is really high. It's $11.5 million, give or take, uh, per spouse. So if you're a married couple you, and you pass away with the current law in place, you can pass on roughly $23 million without being subject to estate taxes. Um, so for most people, estate taxes aren't a huge concern. Um, although the laws, the estate tax laws are likely going to change in the near future, given how much debt our government is racking up. Um, so I would expect that that exemption will probably go down, uh, in the not so distant future, uh, Republican or Democrat. Um, so it is important for your audience members to kind of pay attention to what's going on. Uh, with regards to the estate tax, because if they have significant holdings and a significant net worth, then we want to be mindful of that. Um, a living trust can be helpful in avoiding uh, estate taxes. There are ways to kind of set up your assets to, uh, especially in, in, in the event that you, if you're a married couple, uh, there are ways that you can set up your living trust uh, such that you can shelter potentially more of your assets from estate taxes and pass them on to your loved ones without, uh, without being subject to those taxes. Thanks. I mean, this is definitely important information, I think, for the for everybody to truly understand, because when you're purchasing properties, as you're building assets, you want to know what to expect or what your children are going to have to expect or what's going to happen afterwards. So yep. I think that definitely helps. Um, Georgia, do you have another question? I, I don't know. If- yeah, I actually do. Um, uh, the other question. Yeah, that was a, that, that, that's great information. The next one is, can I make a loan from a trust to a beneficiary? Uh, yeah. So the answer is yes. Well, actually, so the answer is it depends on the terms of the trust, but uh, most trusts will give the trustee the power to do that. If it's a revocable trust, uh, you know, your standard living trust, I'd say almost certainly the answer is yes, uh, just because both as a matter of legality in the sense that most trusts include that language where you're able to loan out money. Uh, and as a matter of practicality, uh, if Let's say, uh, let's say, Jorge, it's your living trust, right? Uh, you're the, you're going to be the trustee, so you're the person taking action on behalf of the trust, and you're also going to be the beneficiary while you're living, right? Which means that all the assets are held for your benefit, 
during your lifetime. So that means that uh, the only people that, or the only person that would complain about what you do while you're living and acting as the trustee is yourself. So there's very little, uh, <laughs> there's very little um, oversight in that regard, right? You can pretty much do whatever you want during the course of your lifetime, but uh, generally speaking, um, your trust uh, would generally explicitly state that you should have the ability to make loans. The ability to make, okay. Okay. And I, I have a question. So one of them that, that they had asked me was, do I need a separate record keeping for my living trust? Uh, so the answer is generally no. So if you create a living trust, uh, this is an important, this is a good question. So uh, your living trust uh, typically does not need its own separate records. And by that, I mean, it doesn't have to file its own tax return. Um, you know, you don't have, I mean, you might have separate books uh, to hold your living trust, but there aren't like ongoing records where you have to be doing anything necessarily to maintain it other than reviewing it periodically to make sure that the terms still reflect what you want given your situation. Um, but, um, but your living trust is going to be tax neutral. Um, so most living trusts are set up as what are called grantor trusts, which means that everything that occurs within the trust um, uh, just gets reported on your individual tax return. So your taxes, so for tax purposes, essentially the trust doesn't exist. Uh, it exists for legal purposes, right? For probate avoidance purposes, for incapacity management purposes. But for tax purposes, the IRS isn't even going to be aware that your trust exists until after you pass away. So uh, you would just file your taxes just as you normally would under your social security number. Okay, okay. Yeah, one other question here is, um, do I still need a, a will even if I have a living trust? Yeah, great question. So the answer to that is, it depends. Uh, the answer is always it depends. It's just if you guys aren't <laughs> here, anytime you ask an attorney anything, the answer is almost always going to be it depends. Um, but... Um, but I would say it, generally speaking, you should have a will in addition to your trust. And the reason why is because you want to think of your trust kind of like a delivery truck. The delivery truck will take your assets wherever you want those assets to go in the event of your passing, but it only delivers the things that we put on the truck. Okay. So this is something that people oftentimes overlook. They assume, oh, I went and I got my trust done and it's sitting on a binder you know, in a binder on my bookshelf and I'm done. I don't have to think about anything ever again. Uh, that's actually not true. So you want to make sure that your assets are properly held in the name of the trust because that's what gives the trust power over those assets. So you want to make sure that your bank accounts and your financial accounts, your real estate are all titled properly in the name of the living trust. Otherwise, how is the bank or a title company or an escrow company supposed to know that the trust controls those assets? And okay. so... A will is important uh, because if you forget to put something into your trust, right? Uh, usually what we'll draft for clients uh, in their estate plan is something called a pour over will, like you're pouring a cup of water. Um, and what this does is it basically is set up to deal with any assets that you forgot to put into the trust. So let's say that I had a piece of vacant land out in Kern County and it just never made it into my trust because I never thought to put it in there. If I pass away, then those assets normally have to go to probate, and then a judge can then decide how to distribute everything for me unless I leave instructions. And so the will is basically telling the court, hey, look, if I made a boo-boo and I forgot something and it's now in your courtroom, 
I want you to put everything back into my trust so it can be distributed the way that I want, rather than the government deciding how to distribute everything on its own, right? So that's where the will comes into play. Uh, the other important thing with the will is this is where typically people will appoint the guardians for their kids. So if you have minor children and you you want to have control over who takes care of little Johnny in the event that you're no longer around, then we, we want to be able to appoint those people uh, in the will kind of designating who those people would be, again, rather than leaving it to a judge to decide because they probably don't know um, or they're in a worse position to make those decisions. I like that. One of the things that you brought up is um, that most people don't or that you should update your living trust. Now, how, how does a person know or when should somebody update their living trust? These are great questions. Um, so what I typically advise my clients and, and we'll say it varies based on the client's profile, right? So the more assets you have, the more moving parts that you have, right? If you're in a blended family, if you own multiple businesses, if you have a bunch of rental properties, um, that you're constantly buying or selling or acquiring, um, the more moving parts and the more complicated your situation is, the, the more often you should probably be meeting with your attorney. But let's just say in this case that we have a married couple, uh, not a, a non-blended family, three kids, uh, a dog, 401k, uh, one, one rental property, primary residence, right? Pretty straightforward. Um, I'd say um, that if everything goes smoothly, um, then I'd say every two to three years is a good time to just check in and just do a quick review and see if there's anything that needs to be updated. Doesn't mean that there is anything to be updated, but it's just good to be in the habit of just checking in. Um, uh, and then obviously if you experience a major life event, right? So you have a new kid, you purchase more properties, uh, somebody dies, uh, somebody gets married, um, obviously uh, you start a new business, right? Those are great times to kind of check in and, and see if uh, those changes have had any uh, have any substantive effect on the estate plan. This is great information because um, uh, it, it, uh, even for myself, I'm learning that it doesn't work like the corporate, the corporation level where you have to uh, file your minutes. You That's know, right. A certain amount of time. So very, very good. And that one. Uh, one other question here is, um, what are the benefits and drawbacks of a living trust? Yeah. So, uh, well, so the benefits uh, we kind of talked about, right? So we're trying to, you can think of this like a, we're facilitating smooth transitions, right? So in the event of your death or in the event of your incapacity, instead of your loved ones having to go to court and fight things out in court about who's going to take care of you or who's going to manage things or where is everything going to go, that's all laid out and it can all be done outside of court. So things typically, again, become much less expensive, much less time consuming, and everything is uh, privately administered. Uh, the drawback to having a living trust uh, are really the costs to set it up, right? The time and effort it takes for you to set up the trust um, and, uh, and, and the time that it takes to maintain it, right? And so uh, the costs would be the cost that you pay to your attorney um, and uh, the time that it takes to meet and kind of talk through your options. But I think that kind of applies to any sort of professional services. Um, and uh, the other cost would then be the, uh, the time spent to fund the trust, right? So you just want to make sure that uh, the assets that you have are properly held in the name of the trust. So uh, typically for our clients, we'll fund the, uh, we'll prepare the deeds to transfer their real estate into the trust. 
Um, and then uh, um, if they have other assets like bank accounts or financial accounts, we'll give them uh, form letters that they can take down to the bank uh, and just tells the bank exactly how to retitle their assets uh, in the name of the trust. Um, in some cases, clients will also hire us to um, for a fee to uh, kind of facilitate the trans um, the uh, um, conversations with the bank to get everything properly transferred. Okay. And then I have a question in reference to um, to real estate. Can I transfer property in and out of my living trust if I'm still alive? It's pretty easy, isn't it? To be able to do something like that? Yeah, yeah. The answer is yes. Uh, you can easily transfer uh, properties into or out of your living trust. Uh, it's really the, it's really, for the most, usually it's just filing a deed, right? So, uh, and, and the context in which that occurs is oftentimes uh, in, uh, in the context of like a refinance. I mean, so sometimes, right? So I have a property that's held in my trust. I decide, oh, interest rates are really low right now, which they are. So talk to your mortgage broker. Um, but uh, I want to refinance my house. Um, I talk to the lender. Some lenders are really fine with it. They're like, hey, it's held in your living trust. We're good with that. Go ahead and you know, we'll just refinance it while it's held in your trust. Other lenders, for whatever reason, uh, may be more conservative. And they say, look, we'd really just be more comfortable if you held title in your name when you sign all the refi docs. And then when you're done, you put it back into your living trust. But uh, so that's the context in which it comes up most commonly in my experience. Um, but yeah, it's really easy. You just prepare a deed, transfer out, sign your loan docs, and then transfer it back in. But if you're going to refinance, you better make sure that your bank is on top of that. Because if they if they don't handle it, uh, and the property is not in your trust when you uh, when you pass away, then those assets uh, are then the default is it's going to go to court unless we can prove that it was done by mistake or something along those lines. So, um, so if you've refinanced in the last, I don't know, several years, um, or let's say if you've refinanced since you've set up your living trust, um, you may want to double check the title to your house to make sure that it's, it's in there. And a good way you can do that is by looking at your property tax bill. So if you look at your latest property tax bill, if it says TR in the address, like for instance, John Smith TR, that uh, usually uh, uh, enumerates that uh, it's uh, uh, that it's in John Smith's capacity as a trustee. So it's usually indicative of the fact that it's held in the trust. If your clients don't know, they can always email me and I can pull title and see if the property is in the trust as well. So, perfect, perfect. Yeah. Well, it's awesome. No, 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 you know, that concludes all, all the questions that we have. And in reality, thank you so much for, for this valuable knowledge that you're bringing to the table, Brian. Really appreciate that. What would be, one last question, if, if I may, what would be the most common mistake people make in, in this type of, um, whether they file a living trust or even if they don't? I mean, the biggest mistake is they don't do anything. <laughs> and their assets under yeah. the uh, <laughs> But And then the other one is just uh, making sure you spend enough you know, do, do the work up front to get your assets in the trust. That's the other one. So, yeah. I actually have one more quick question that just came to my mind sure. right now. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when somebody has a property in a will, and I've seen this happen, the, the property might be in the will, and in the state of California, they might allow it to sell. But, of course, there's all these other legalities that it kind of starts to go through probate. But 
It was, it's my understanding that the heirs can try to sue and say, hey, you know what, that will wasn't prepared correctly or they were not in their right mind when they were doing it. Can, yeah. can the family members do the same with the living trust? Can they try to challenge a living trust? Uh, yes. So the answer is, uh, and I'll start by saying this. So you can, anyone can sue anyone pretty much for anything if they have the, the, the time, the money, and the willingness to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, uh, most rational actors won't act unless they have a reasonable chance of success. Yeah. And so the whole point of this is we're trying to set things up so clearly that uh, rational people would not challenge it because the intent, which is what the court cares about, uh, is clearly articulated uh, and uh, in it, uh, where appropriate, we also want to take additional steps to document capacity, right? So uh, if I have a client that's in their, you know, their 90s and uh, they're in poor health and they're coming to me on their deathbed and saying, hey, I want to re- write, you know, little Timmy out of the will. Um, well, that's a potential red flag, right? You want to make sure that we, we take the extra steps to document, hey, maybe have a neurologist examine uh, the client to make sure that his capacity, right, he's in his right mind. Uh, maybe even videotape the client and have him articulate why he's writing the out of the will. Um, so that is real clear so that we have evidence that we can kind of show to document the client's intent uh, and the client's ability to actually make uh, make those decisions. So. Okay. Beautiful. Yes, yes. A lot of great information, right? I think it, uh, there's definitely a lot of benefits to a living trust and, and it covers quite a bit, um, you know, assets, bank accounts, medical. I know when we... I met with you and we're talking about our own living trust. You were, you were asking us like these life questions that we hadn't thought about that puts you a little bit uncomfortable, but at the end of the day, it's what we have to, you know, think about because sooner or later it might happen, right? Yeah. Whether you're prepared or not, it's going to happen. <laughs> and it felt good afterwards, right? When we were done, it felt good, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd like to add to that because... Uh, after the meeting with you, we actually went and sat down and went uh, uh, over a lot of, you know, a lot of what we spoke on, uh, in our meeting. And yes, it was a little bit uncomfortable, but later on, when you put things on the table and you look at it from that perspective, you know, uh, yeah. or, or from the perspective of wanting wanting to leave everything organized, it just gives you some peace of mind. Yep. Right. No, for for us, it's definitely. I think yeah. I think a lot of people are gonna um, find so much value in this information that you just provided today. Yeah, it's like uh, working out. You know what I mean? It's like getting out of bed's hard, but then once you're doing it, you're like, oh, okay, feels good. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. If anybody wants to uh, contact you, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, yeah, so I guess uh, if you'd like, I mean, I can give you my contact information to post. Uh, yeah, it's going to show here, so by all means. Um, cool. Do you, I mean, do you want me to, uh, I can say my name and my email and my phone number if, if that shows up in the podcast, or mm-hmm. how would you like me to do that? Yes, please, both. Um, it's going to be showing on, on, on subtitles, but, but please. Um, okay, great. So, yeah, so... Um, so if your clients want to reach out to me, probably the best way to get a hold of me is by email. Uh, my email is Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at Barth, that's B as in boy, A as in apple, R as in Robert, T as in Thomas, 
H as in Harry, attorneys, A-T-T-O-R-N-E-Y-S.com. Um, and if you reach out to me and say that you were referred by Jorge or uh, Fabiola, that's great. Um, then I can appropriately thank them. Um, and what will happen is uh, if you email me and say, hey, I want to get together, I'll actually send you an email back uh, with uh, some links to my calendar so that you can either schedule a formal consultation either by Zoom or by phone. Uh, or if you just want to do a quick phone call, just to ask initial questions and get a sense of my process, there's an option for you to do that as well. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for for joining us. Thanks for sharing so much um, great information. And and I hope that all of our consumers found a lot of value because there's definitely so much to take care of in our life. So many little different aspects to uh, make sure that are covered and and you are a huge part of that. So thank once again. Thanks. Yeah. No, thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to, uh, Growing together as a team. So yes, yes. Like, thank you so much, Brian. <laughs> yes, yes. And I always like to close it off with my people. Remember prosperity because you deserve it. There you go. Good deal. <laughs>